Hey everybody, this is Joseph, one of the pastors at the First Presbyterian Church of Flint, and I wanted to welcome you to our sermon podcast. Each week, this show features the latest sermons preached here at First Pres, and we hope that they encourage you in your faith and work as you listen. This fall, we're preaching a 10-week series of sermons called When Religion Fails, and we're using Jesus' teachings and parables from the Gospel of Luke to reconsider what it means to truly follow Christ. Here's this week's sermon. Gracious God, we thank you for your word. We ask that you move your spirit among us even now. Open our ears to hear your sweet voice being spoken to us. And Lord, open our eyes to see you standing here in our midst. Reach in and soften our hearts so we may not just hear, but welcome and obey and follow you in the way of life your holy name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. So in the book of Deuteronomy, there's a section where Moses, before the people are entering the promised land, he goes through a litany with them of curses and blessings, and one of those curses is like this. This is right in Deuteronomy 27. Cursed be anyone who deprives an alien, an orphan, or a widow of justice. Let the people say, Amen. Amen. There, we joined with the people of God before entering the promised land, just as scripture tells it. So imagine you wake up one morning, you go through your AM routine, morning walk, steep a cup of tea or brew a cup of coffee, sit down at the kitchen counter with that cup and read your daily scriptures, say your morning prayers, prepare a light breakfast of, I don't know, toast smeared with some nectarine marmalade, Marge, or peanut butter or avocado, all you New Yorkers. Or maybe it's eggs, over easy, seasoned with adobo and cumin. Hmm. Or maybe better yet, it's leftover mastacholi heated up with some warm garlic bread. (laughs) However you do breakfast, you enjoy that breakfast with another cup of coffee while watching out the window, the morning sun slowly uncovering the backyard with warm light as the woodpeckers and finches, jays, titmice, chickadees, all, all suddenly alight on the feeders to take their turns at breakfast. Or maybe you turn on the TV to catch up on whatever news has taken place overnight and the weather forecast so you'll know how to dress properly for the day. You, you rinse off your dishes, you cut up a little fruit to enjoy later, and you sit down at your computer desk or in your comfortable chair with your tablet to check your emails. Junk, junk, oh, gotta respond to her. Man, I need to read that article later, junk. Junk, 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 right? That done, you, you, you finally log into your bank account and your investment accounts. And you log out and you log in again. 
and it's a double gasp. I mean, what the? And maybe you say something that I'm not saying here. You find all your accounts have been depleted overnight, every one of them, checking, savings, investments, IRA, CDs, Christmas savings, whatever accounts and investments you have. They're all of them cleared out, zero balances. Can't be right. And you're talking out loud now, nobody but the screen and your dazed self as you quickly log out again, you, you rub your hands and you log in again for the third time, giving it just a couple seconds to, to, to catch up on what's real. And you're paralyzed as, as your heart drops to your stomach. You, your blood pressure rises. Your, your mouth goes dry as mine is right now. Your, your body begins to quiver. Your mind goes blank. And the room is spinning. How can this be? This can't be right. You, you, you snap out of it. And in a New York minute, you call up the bank. And of course, all you get is the interactive voice responder. Good morning. How may I help you? Press 1 to hear your balance. Press 2 to transfer funds. Press 3 to leave a message. Press 4 to get irate. Press 0 to get hung up on. And of course you cannot release any of the rage by, by slamming down the receiver onto the phone base because we don't have those anymore. <laughs> so you jump up as, as if you've got to get somewhere to make this right, like right now, but nothing is open. You freeze. You stand there. You're seething. You're, you're panicked. Your, your heart is pounding. What, what if it is all gone? These accounts were the resource for your groceries, your gas, your gym membership, your, your church tithes, your loan payments to, to keep the repo man at bay, your mortgage and rent payments, your car repairs, utilities, the, the few bucks you throw in at, the, at work for a colleague's retirement gift. It, it's the money for baby formula, for the kids' school clothes, for granddaughter's birthday gift, for college textbooks, tuition payments, right? All of it, all of it comes out of these accounts. This was your present resource and your future retirement plan. Secure, secure income that would maintain your expectations for a modest standard of living, both now and throughout those golden years. But all of it, you see, It's a Kafkaesque scene, the sudden twist, the how of this absurd new reality without understanding or explanation, the helpless state you find yourself standing in, sitting in, press one for, uh, all you know is that something is very wrong, a, a crime has been committed and you will not take it sitting down. You vow to get to the bottom of it, to fix the computer glitch or catch the crooks who did this, to, to right the wrong, to access what is inaccessible, to, to storm the banking citadels. If needed, you will secure the best lawyer. Don, looking for you. Don, looking for you who will fight for you. Come hell or high water, you will get back what is rightfully yours. And friend, I have no doubt that neither you nor I would not leave one rock unturned in our fight 
to get that money back, to get what is ours, a fight to be freed from this twist of injustice that has has us in a chokehold, not due to anything we've done, until we win and are once again able to breathe. And now, now you've got an idea of the frustration, the vexing position the widow in Jesus' parable finds herself. She's being wrong. An injustice is being perpetrated against her. Her husband, her security in life, has been torn away from her by death. And and now, where will her help come? The only ones present are a judge and an adversary, and both are treating her unfairly. The adversary may be an heir of her late husband's estate who's suing her, for the finances that, that are supposed the finances that are supposed to support her, that are rightfully hers according to the Jewish law. Or maybe he's seeking to evict her from the home, which by law, again, she may remain in unless she remarries. The adversary seems to have initiated some legal action by the language that's used in order to take from her what the law had protected as her right. And then there's the judge. The judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. The judge who is described by Jesus as unjust. He's the one in the position to secure for this woman her rightful care and security under the law. He's the one in the position to, uh, to put her adversary in his place and uphold the law. And yet, There's the widow out there on her own. And for a woman in that society, that is a dangerous and vulnerable place to be. She's not asking for anything outside of what is lawfully her right, but only that the law be followed. She's not asking for vengeance, but to be avenged, for justice to be served. And in so doing, she be vindicated She's insisting on protection, that she be treated with the care and compassion to which the law entitles her. Now, apparently, she has no brother, no son, no other male in her life to come to her side, which would be the norm in that time and place, for such a male to serve as her advocate, to see that justice is done. Or maybe... Her adversary is that relative who is now disregarding or twisting the law to his own advantage. This widow's expectation is that her society will offer protection for those who have little standing in society, those of such low rank as herself who haven't the position, the money, or the power to secure their cause. Her only recourse is to seek out the judge and plead and plead and plead for justice, to to make a spectacle of herself crying out in public that her righteous defense be upheld. You see, the law God gave said this widow 
along with every other person in such a vulnerable position, was to be protected, to be cared for, to be given respect and honor such as God had given the children of Israel themselves as a people, as God's people. This was one of the purposes of the Jewish law and court systems, to establish and maintain for all the world to see a faithful testimony of care for the vulnerable. Just and equitable court decisions between persons, regardless of gender, age, social status, education, or wealth. They were to take their clues for living with the vulnerable among them by God's actions in the sight of all the nations when demonstrating faithful care toward the enslaved people of Israel, a people of no social status, with no power in Egypt, when God justly delivered them from their oppressors and gave them protection. In Exodus, we hear, remember, Remember that you too were once abused and without human recourse or protection as foreigners in the land of Egypt. So you shall not mistreat or abuse any foreigner living among you, any widow or orphan. If you do mistreat them, when they cry out to me, I will surely heed their cry. My anger shall blaze forth and I will put you to the sword and your own wives shall become widows and your children orphans. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This, this is the currency God deals in, no matter who is involved, whether Israel or the other nations. The currency of kindness toward those who are pushed aside and mistreated. The currency of securing just rulings for those who are abused under the systems that favor the wealthy, who hold the power to shape the law for their own gain. The currency of mercy toward those vulnerable and suffering whose cries land on deaf ears of human law enforcers. And as representatives of God, who has delivered us, this is the currency God gives us to deal in as well. Remembering that we too were once not a people, but are now God's people, that we too were once pushed aside, but now have been drawn in by Christ, that we too were once a powerless people with no hope until God reached out with mercy to draw us in and breathe new life for goodness into us. We are nothing, we are nothing apart from God's grace extended to us in Christ Jesus. You can't buy that. You can't earn that. You can't deserve it because of pedigree. The new and empowered life that we have in Christ is secured by God alone. It's all God. May we, God's people, never forget but remember this and use wisely the currency God has given us for living out our days, this currency of kindness, mercy, and justice. 
Now in this parable, we, we find the widow on her own, the security she has for living out of her days, and the world is being stripped from her, and the law founded upon God's righteous and just actions is being ignored. The courts are centers of misjustice as the judge ignores God's law and could not care any less about her plea for justice. Her only recourse is to to follow the course that the judge has set. So she, too, ignores social practices, ignores all modest feminine expectations of the day, and she storms the courts, she accosts the judge, she cries out loudly for justice to be done, and she is not about to stop until until he responds favorably to her cry, which, as you remember, he finally does. Don't be fooled into thinking that the judge has a change of heart. He has not. He acts out of self-interest, if you remember. Lest she wear me out. I suppose he's tired of her pacing alongside the pool at the gym, begging him to set a court date while he's trying to swim his daily laps. I I guess he's had enough of her finding a seat at the table next to his and interrupting his daily morning coffee and croissant in the little bistro on the corner, the one that the owner gives him half off as long as he doesn't allow any other cafe to be set up within a three-block radius. Maybe he's tired of her littering his front yard with signs demanding justice now that have got the neighbors talking about a possible scandal. After all, the cameras are always rolling and the electorate's a fickle bunch, right? He's tired of her voice, tired of her demands, tired of her presence. The unjust judge is tired of her. Not because he's had a change of heart, but because he's tired, he finally gives in. Not in service to God's law, not in service to the widow, but in service to himself. And there's the point of the story. That even if such a one as this unjust judge, the one who cares only about himself, if one such as he finally grants this widow justice, is not God. God. Is not God trustworthy to do justice when you cry out in happiness? or fear, in joy or in sorrow, in danger and peril. When you cry out for help as you find yourself in a society gone mad with self-interest and greed and siloing so that we might hear just the voice that we like to hear to the exclusion of God's. Jesus' appeal to his followers in telling this parable is, look, trust God, the just judge, the one who is all about caring for people created in his image, the one whose heart beats particularly strong for those among us who are vulnerable, those hurting, those grieving, those oppressed, those abandoned by family, those cast aside by society, those those abused by governments, 
Those whose pleas for help fall only on deaf ears of fellow humans who hold the power to act toward them in ways that are merciful and kind and just. This is the God who way back in Egypt and over and over again has come to our rescue. Will not this God, the only just judge, hear those who cry for mercy, who cry for kindness, who cry for justice, and will he not come to their aid? It's a rhetorical question. Of course, of course he will. Scriptures testify this is exactly what God does. This is how God acts. And friends, in Christ Jesus, this is what God has done definitively for the sake of all, with his keen eye looking to show kindness to, to those vulnerable and mistreated, his ear attuned to those bearing the burden of systems of human justice twisted to uphold their own purposes. His hands are ever reaching out with grace to grant mercy to those who are abused and pushed out to the margins. This is who God has been, who God is now, and who God will be forevermore. Now listen, don't think that this parable is a guide for Christian disciples on how to work the system and get what we want how to grab hold of political and economic power in order to secure our future and our preferred way of life. It's not a manifesto to a, attack the systems of world power and take them over so that our way of life may become the rule of the land. To all that, and to us who hold it up for him to bless, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. That is not what this parable is about. Not at all. Jesus makes it clear at the outset. This parable is about our need to pray always and to not lose heart. This parable falls right on the heels of Jesus' warnings not to worry when the kingdom of God will come or where the kingdom of God will be. His responses to those questions, look, the kingdom of God is among you kingdom of God is wherever life is lived faithful to God's ways. Kindness, mercy, and justice. This is the currency God has given us for living in these days. Even as the foundations upon which the world has constructed its kingdoms crumble beneath us, Jesus says we we, if you follow me, are to be a people who love to show kindness and mercy to all, who act justly toward each and every neighbor, who, who have our radars, partic radars particularly set to seek out those who live on the margins of society's cares, those labeled by others as not worth the trouble. The world's foundations are crumbling away as they always do. Chapter 17, Jesus reminds his followers in the days of Noah, no one paid any heed to that old coot 
responding faithfully to God's call to build a boat of salvation. Everyone just went about their business doing their own thing. In the days of Lot, Jesus says, no one paid any heed to the nut who acted with hospitality to care for the strangers among them while everyone else went about their own business of grabbing their wants and desires instead of tending to the one in need. In the days of Jesus, no one paid any mind to the one who ate and drank with tax collectors and sinners, who touched the lepers, who broke social norms to minister to women and the hungry, and the ones on the outside of the polite social order. No one paid any mind to him except to try and exploit him for their own ends or to finally crucify him. The world's foundations are crumbling away. Always have been, nothing new there. But Christ's call to the church to we who would follow him is to be persistent in prayer, persevering, praying. Because prayer puts us in the proper position, shoulder to shoulder with our neighbors before God who acts justly towards all. Pray, Jesus says, that God's way of loving kindness and mercy become our way of life here and now. Friends, I'll tell you a secret. God only knows that is my constant need in praying to realign my ways to God's ways. To pray, Jesus says, so that in the midst of the world's foundations falling apart, we might continue to be faithful in living out God's call as God's people to bless the vulnerable, to love our enemies, to do good to those who wrong us, to speak to all with grace-filled words, even when such actions are out of step with the world's way and put us on the outside. They are in step with the rays of Christ who lived faithfully all the way to the cross. Pray. We are commanded by Christ to pray. And we are assured by him that our final arbiter is not the ones who get over on you, not the ones who take advantage of you. Not the ones who legislate laws you disagree with. Not the ones whose form of government cause you fear and anxiety. Our final arbiters are not the ones whose supreme labels sit in the seats of judgment to uphold the laws of the land. Pray, Jesus says, not that your way of life be preserved by God and forced upon neighbor. No. Pray with the assurance that our final arbiter is God. God, creator of heaven and earth, the humble redeemer who took the slaps in the face and laid down his life for love of all that God has made. 
for love of our every neighbor around the world, for, for love of you and me. God, all-powerful sustainer who has created and empowered a new people, this people, to follow his way in the world. Pray. For prayer is the bank from which our strength comes and which our deposits of loving kindness and showing mercy and doing justice gain, gain great interest as they begin to grow within us and reshape us so that we might live even more faithfully in the midst of difficult, confusing, even oppressive times with our hearts, our minds, and our hands tuned and focused to live only as God's people. We're doing this series on religion fails when, well, religion fails. Religion fails when it uses prayer to hold forth any currency other than that which God has given us, doing kindness, acting justly, and being merciful to all. This is the only future that will finally come to pass, to never crumble on earth as it is in heaven. Thanks be to God. Thanks for listening this week. The First Presbyterian Church of Flint is an historic downtown congregation proudly part of the Presbyterian Church USA, the largest Presbyterian denomination in the United States. You can learn more about us at fpcf.org. You can check out our weekly live stream broadcasts on our channel on YouTube. But better yet, you can stop by any Sunday at 10.30 a.m. to worship with us. We would love to welcome you and your family to worship. Have a great week.